The following episode discusses suicide, including descriptions of a suicide, suicide attempts, and self-harm. This content may be disturbing, so we encourage listeners to prepare themselves emotionally before proceeding, and to potentially postpone until you feel ready. If you believe that the episode will be traumatising, we urge you to forego it. And if you need information on suicide prevention helplines, please visit the show notes for this episode. Welcome to the AOCPP podcast, the podcast brought to you by the Association of Child Protection Professionals, where we, alongside expert guests, discuss important issues within child protection and safeguarding. There's never been a more important time to keep up with child protection and safeguarding, but with regulation frequently changing, we realise not all professionals have the time to do so. That's why we've created this podcast, to give you what you need to stay informed. Every week, we'll be inviting child protection professionals with expertise in either research or practice to share their learnings. In each episode, we'll be taking a focused look at a singular issue that you need to know about. These are often specific and urgent, so we'll be talking with a professional at the forefront of the issue. Hello, I'm Wendy Thurigood, the chair of the Association of Child Protection Professionals. And today we're talking about a very complex subject, suicide, and we're privileged to have Michaela will be talking about her daughter Gabby and the challenges that they have faced. Thank you very much for agreeing to talk to us Michaela and it's over to you to tell your story. Hi I am a first and foremost I'm a mother and my daughter Gabby is 21 and she's currently at university now. Secondly I am a healthcare professional and a qualified nurse so I can look at this from both perspectives but my priority is my daughter. Gabby was unwell from the age of 13 really and we noticed that she had become unwell, she felt unwell, she knew something was different about her. I took her backwards and forwards to the GP who thought she was depressed. They prescribed antidepressants which actually exacerbated her illness and made her worse. She continued to go to school where by the age of 14, 15, she was self-harming, cutting herself, her arms and her thighs without my knowledge. I got a call one day when she was in school and she tried to take an overdose and tried to commit suicide. That was her first attempt. She was only 15. I was called into school. We took her to A&E. I'd been asking for help. We knew that something was wrong. We knew that she wasn't well. When many healthcare professionals plus family and friends were just saying, maybe she's just a difficult teenager. Maybe she's being naughty. However, I knew she wasn't. I knew she wasn't well. And it was really clear to me and it was clear to my daughter that she knew that there was something wrong with her. But she was being ignored. She hadn't had an assessment. She had been seen by CAMS at this point and they dismissed her and discharged her. There was no early intervention and people were not listening. So that episode occurred. We were in A&E for a long period of time. She had assessments. She was eventually seen by CAMS. She had an appointment with a psychiatrist who very quickly determined that she has bipolar. They then took her under their wing through CAMS and Gabby's journey began. So she stayed with CAMS throughout. She was assessed many times, but the one thing I did find throughout a lot of the assessments are that the healthcare professionals do not listen. They didn't listen to Gabby when she was trying to tell them exactly how she felt, and they didn't listen to me when I was trying to give them early warning signs. 
about how I potentially could see her building up towards things. So for a couple of years, we struggled with her being changed on various medications, many antipsychotics, introducing antidepressants. It was a long journey. It was a difficult journey. She was manic. She was depressed. She was all over the place. She was self-harming. She was talking about committing suicide. She was feeling very low. We were trying to keep her safe. I had to adapt to the house. I had to try and keep her safe. I had to lock the doors. I had to lock the carport. I had to lock everything to keep her in at times because my son and I were trying to hold her back from harming herself, from getting out of the house. She eventually got through school. She took a GCSE. She passed them all. I'm incredibly proud. And then she went to college to do her A-levels. There she met a lovely young man. They began a friendship and then a relationship. He too was struggling with his mental health. He unfortunately committed suicide by jumping in front of a train. That was the most traumatic and most difficult time that myself, my daughter and my son have been through and ever experienced. We had the British Transport Police in and out of our house trying to support Gabby because they know through their experience that once a boyfriend has done that, the girlfriend is likely to want to follow. This was the case. Gabby was admitted straight into hospital. We could not find a placement or a bed locally in county. She stayed in A&E for one night, overnight, on a trolley. I stayed with her, keeping her safe, staying by her side and assessing her for myself. They eventually found her a bed in AAU. It took the CAMS team a couple of days to find her a bed. The bed was out of county. This was miles away. She was distressed and traumatized and grieving because her boyfriend had just committed suicide. She'd been moved away from home, miles away. She was feeling very lonely, very isolated. I was going up every day to support her, every day to tell her I love her. My son was coming with me. Other family members were trying to visit her. She was unsafe. She did want to join him. She wanted to commit suicide. I was trying to talk to the team. It took me quite a few attempts to say to them, she needs some intervention. You need to reassess her. You need to look at therapy or you need to look at her medication, but you need to keep her safe. They sectioned her in the end. She was there for four to five weeks. She eventually came home. She was discharged. They felt she was in a better place. However, I didn't. And I know through my experience with my daughter, knowing her as well as I do, that I could see her leading into this, this quagmire of depression and feeling so traumatized and trying to process everything that had happened that she'd been through, struggling with her own mental health. By this point, not only has she been diagnosed with bipolar, she'd been diagnosed with a personality disorder. Then you add to that now complex PTSD and anxiety. So she's on a very, very high dose of an antipsychotic, quetiapine. She's on a high dose of an antidepressant. She's on a high dose of an anti-anxiety med. In fact, she's on two antidepressants. So she's on more medication, I think, per person, for a young person, than I've ever had to administer for any patients I've ever looked after, period. Gabby came home for a few months. She sunk further and further into depression. I was trying to keep her well, keep her safe. I had to have the house locked up. I had to have a lock put on my bedroom door where all the medication in the house is kept to keep it secure so she couldn't get in. I had to take the locks off the bathroom doors because she would go into the bathroom and cut her wrists and her throats. And as many times I've been in there and tried to break the door down to find her in a pool of blood. 
and then act quickly, put the pressure on, apply the pressure, dress her arms, keep her safe, keep her alive, take her to A&E if I can't manage that myself. So the house became a place where it should be safe, it should be your home, but we've had to make many adaptations to keep her safe and keep her well. She plummeted further into depression. I was feeding her, I was trying to get her to have a shower. I was sitting with her, I was listening to her. She'd kind of pick up for a day. She disassociated many times. I would use the grounding techniques to try and calm her down, to bring her back to her senses, to bring her back to me. I would stay up with her night and day. I would stay up with her all night if she was manic. I would stay up with her all night if she was feeling depressed. There have been many occasions where my son and I have walked in and she's been banging her head against the wall and I've had to put my hand in place to stop her because her head's bleeding. There have been occasions when we've walked in and she's had a tie or a belt around her neck and we've had to fight to get it off because she's been that close to stopping breathing. And this continued. And over this period of time, I was saying to Cam's, she's not safe, she's not well, and I cannot see a future for her right now. She's given up. And her last meeting with Cam's before she tried to commit suicide again, I went on her behalf because she was too unwell and wouldn't go. So I went to Cam's and I, I remember saying to the entire team, including the psychiatrist, that I can't see a future for her and I'm incredibly scared for her. And the psychiatrist turned around to me and said, well, maybe she has to hit rock bottom before she comes up again. Two days later, she tried to take her own life very seriously, took a mixture of everything that she'd been stockpiling that we were not aware, antipsychotics, antidepressants, anything else you'd get her hands on. She became dyskinetic. She lost consciousness, she couldn't communicate, she was becoming incoherent, and then she collapsed in my arms. Thank you for listening to the short extract from Michaela and her daughter's story. AOCPP members can access the full story via the members area of our website. Thank you.